blank page. The blank page features creative nonfiction pieces written by students at Bow High School in Bow, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Crystal Bonin, English teacher. This hour, you'll hear stories, reviews, and essays that range from the strange to the informative to the hilarious. Here's our first story. The first time. The day was hot and sticky, as well as being a sticky situation for the opposing team, Bishop Grady. It was only the second quarter, and the football game was already on its way to being another Aspetuck rollover. The young boy, Eric, was only a freshman at the time, but he was in full uniform on the sidelines. He was actually the only kid who didn't want to be dressed for the game that day. He would rather have been hanging out with his new girlfriend in the crowd, but his brother was one of the 11 toughest sons of bitches, as Coach Plum would say. So, there was no chance he was going to get away with that. Instead, he sat on the sideline being a water boy for the behemoth lineman that towered over him at the time, but he didn't mind doing that. They all liked him because he was the younger brother of Jacob, and he looked like he had some potential. As he was filling up the water bottles for the hundredth time, Coach Plum approached him and snatched him up by the collar of his pads in one quick jerking motion. Coach Plum was no man to be trifled with. He was ex-Special Forces and had been deployed multiple times to Iraq and Afghanistan, so as you could guess, the young man almost pissed himself. The older man said, You have a girlfriend in the stands today, don't you? The young boy nodded his head quickly, looking like a bobblehead with his oversized helmet on. Taking a sip of his iced coffee, Plum replied, Well, then let's get your goddamn ass out there. As the team went back into a huddle, Coach screamed at the man playing center, Eric's brother, to get off the field. As Jacob came trotting off the field, the coach shoved the young boy out on the field and said, Get over to that huddle, goddammit. Eric ran as fast as he could to the position of center, which is smack dab in the middle of the entire huddle. He would have been more nervous than he was if he could actually see the crowd, but wherever he looked, his face bumped into the gut of a lineman or the chest of a running back. Yet he was shocked at the fact that he was the first freshman in the game, even though he wasn't on varsity and only mediocre at best. But what he did have was some fire in his guts. Eric didn't even hear what the play was due to his confusion, but luckily he had a nose guard right across from him, so he knew who to get. On the snap of the ball, Eric launched into his opponent and creamed him, and continued to do so all game. Later on, more and more freshmen were thrown out onto the field until Eric was playing with his whole JV team, and they continued to push the ball down the field on a starting varsity defense. At the end of the day, Aspetuck had won, 61-0, and two of those touchdowns had been scored by a full JV offense. Eric knew that this was his first ever varsity game, and he was thrilled, but he also knew that there were a hell of a lot more to come. Jack Tellison is a Bo senior here at Bo High School, and he absolutely loves it here. Psych, he can't wait to leave. He hopes this is the last thing he has to do here. Have fun, you juniors. On a normal hot summer day, two years ago, in Providence, Rhode Island, stood a store named Ocean State Jobwatt. Due to the huge Pokemon Go phase that summer, Many people were inside or outside that plaza on that day based on a rumored rare Pokemon that lies outside the store. As you walk into Ocean State Jobwatt, you will notice a funky smell that you will find nowhere else. All of a sudden, four teenagers all around the same age came rushing in the store. All of them varied in height, but all had the same color of brown hair. 
They suddenly scattered into two groups, searching throughout the store. As they continued their search, someone else came into Jabalot. It was a middle-aged man with curly brown hair and an oddly shaped goatee. He was also wearing a baby blue tracksuit with a leather belt and some spunky red leather gloves. He continued to walk into the store, getting closer and closer to the two of the brown-haired teenagers. He ends up approaching the very tall brown-haired boy. The strange man suddenly pulls something out of his pocket. The colors red, black, and white seem to appear. He pulled out a Pokeball and threw it at the teenager. The weird middle-aged man then screamed at the top of his lungs, saying, Get in your ball, you stupid Pokemon. The man rapidly picked up his Pokeball and ran out of the store. A few minutes after he ran out, the four teenagers bought a box of chicken broth and tried their best to leave the store as fast as they possibly could. Everyone in the store during that incident looked very scared and yet confused on everything that just happened. Napizi is a freshman at Bow High School. She loves playing soccer and running track. Follow her on Twitter at Kristen1021620. The Climb of a Lifetime The cliff looked much more intimidating in person compared to the pictures online. A man with many years of free climbing experience had confronted the biggest challenge he'll ever face. The cliff is well known to rock climbers as one of the hardest cliffs to conquer. The trip to Sioux, France was a long and boring flight for the man as he does not enjoy flying. The flight was a small price to pay for the ability to take a shot at the notorious wall named Biography. The man had prepared almost his entire life for this climb as he has wanted to scale this wall since he had started climbing 15 years ago. The man had brought very little supplies for the trip given he had only planned to stay at the climb location for a couple days. He arrived at the basin of the wall and quickly hooked to the fall line. There are hooks that are embedded into the wall all the way up to the top. As the man climbs up, he will need to attach his fall line to each hook as, that he passes, or else a fall from a height like this can break your back if you get to clip into the last hook you passed. The man had quickly made his way up the first six hooks, about 60 feet on the wall. He took some time holding on to the last clip he hooked into to enjoy the very beautiful view and landscape sloping down from the side of the plateau he was climbing. He had noticed a small crowd that has gathered at the bottom of the route he was climbing. He was only halfway up the wall, but it was impressive enough for people to catch interest in his ascent. Only 12 people have ever climbed to the top of this wall, and he wanted to be the next. Knowing this, he continued to climb in what seemed to be more motivated than ever. As he was about to clip into the next hook, his foothold that he was standing on gave way, and he begins to fall. His body jolts awake. He sits up in his bed as his heart is racing and looks at the clock. It's 2 a.m. His flight to see his friends leaves in just a few hours. It's time to get ready. Chase Graham is a senior at Bow High School. He enjoys playing baseball and loves cars. He hangs out with his friends on his free time and also plays video games. Parking like a chimp. Dear brother, you know what really grinds my gears? When people park like monkeys.
Unfortunately, you are one of these people. The issue is that it primarily happens at school, in part due to the lack of legal parking for all of the students who drive. However, this doesn't excuse the fact that you do it, as you could spend an extra minute walking to get a legal spot. You shouldn't park illegally like a chimp because you're going to get a ticket, and it's not very fair for those who spend the extra time to find a legal spot in courts or third. When it comes to this issue, we've both taken fairly strong positions. My side of the argument is essentially that you shouldn't park illegally as often as you do. You don't all the time, but if you come in after first is full, you'll often just find a patch of dirt along the football field or park across the zone parking isn't allowed in in second parallel. Most other people walk from courts if they're coming late, so it really isn't fair to the other students who follow the rules. I'm not saying it's a horrible offense or anything. I think everyone here has parked illegally at some point due to the lack of close legal parking. However, it shouldn't be something to do every week. Your side of the issue is that if you can fit your truck somewhere, you will because you don't want to walk from courts every day, which is understandable. It really comes down to the fact that you don't want to wake up early on days you have early free periods in order to get a close parking spot, which I absolutely understand. You are often found parked on the yellow lines designated a no parking zone or in the dirt next to the second because it's a bit closer than walking from third or courts. To be fair to you, you're certainly not the only one who's spotted in these locations. In response to your side, I understand not wanting to walk from courts so often, but being lazy isn't an excuse to do this as often as you do. It's such a tiny time difference from where you park anyway that you're basically just risking a parking ticket for a minute or two of time. I won't say that you shouldn't ever illegally park because until the parking solution is fixed, sometimes everyone will have to. However, I would say that it's totally fair to claim that you don't need to be doing it several times a week, nearly every week. After giving it some thought, there are several compromises I believe would be successful. In terms of compromises, I've thought of two that seem quite fair. The first one is that you just wake up earlier in order to be on time and get a good spot. This may not be appealing due to the waking up earlier part, but it doesn't have to be an everyday thing. It could be just once or twice a week, which I feel will be much better. The other compromise I thought of is that you still park illegally if you have a legitimate time you need to be somewhere before, but also making sure that you cut down on the times you don't need to when you can just walk from courts. The walk isn't bad, and it's getting nice and warm out now, so the weather for it is pretty good. As long as you try a bit harder to needlessly not get in trouble, I'll be happy. Regards, your brother. Jonathan Guymond is a senior at Bow High School. He's a little chimp trying to get along in a big chimp world. How would it feel to be half black, half white? Well, for Robert Bryson Hall II, he had to deal with that his whole life. Logic was born January 22, 1990, to a father who has never been around at the time, and a mother who was addicted to drugs. He grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland, around the slums. He went to high school there, but was kicked out in the 10th grade due to lack of interest except English class. In 2009, Logic's career started, performing at random events trying to get noticed. In 2011, he got signed to a record label called Def Jam. He later released his first album called Young Sinatra. Logic quickly began making achievements, winning many awards, as well as putting songs on top 100 lists. In 2014, Logic signed with a bigger company called Visionary Music Group. He released his most notable album, Under Pressure, making many hits. Nikki is a song about nicotine addiction. Logic has been addicted for cigarettes for 10 years. He wrote it to help people get rid of their addictions, whatever they may be. 
He wants people to know that it's possible to quit an addiction no matter what it may be. Logic finally paved his way for success as well as inspiring others to follow in his ways. The music used to accompany the lyrics have an eerie beat to it. It sounds very depressing and doesn't pick up tempo at all to the very end when it mainly just gets louder. louder. The message of the song is to help end people's addictions. It was meant for Logic to think about his past, about all the wrongs he did, and allow others to feed on it, to forget the past, and move on with a brighter future. Follow the author, Ryan, on Twitter at RyanAnd5050743. Goodbye, Chili. Dear Mr. J.C. Clopper, Although I admire the fact that you went out of your way to create a somewhat healthy meal for the American society, I dislike it. Even Mexico indignantly denies any association with the dish. Chili is not a good meal and the smell of it is a cringe. As a very white person who thinks watermelon is spicy, I have to steer clear of this chunky bowl. Chili should not exist because it is gross and harmful to our society. Personally, the real hatred for this meal began about a year ago. My mother got a fancy new Instapot for herself, and the first meal she decided to make was chili. Excited for this new method of cooking, my mom quickly whipped up a dinner in her new pot at New England School of Dance while my sisters and I were in dance class. My first bite was atrocious. The slimy texture of the turkey chili did not sit well. In between each long class, I took spoonfuls of the beans and sour cream while plugging my nose to lose the taste. I did not have the heart to tell my mom that I disliked her food, so I ate as much as I could muster. All I could taste in ballet class that night was beans and regret. After dance class, my mom asked me to take home the almost full Instapot for her. I successfully carried the heavy pot down the dance studio stairs, and I quickly unlocked my car. While on the driver's side, I placed the pot on the driver's seat to put my backpack in the car. As I went to pick the pot back up so that I could put it in the passenger side floor and begin my drive home, the lid came off and the entire pot of turkey chili spilled all over my driver's seat and on the floor of my car. I let out a loud scream and quickly began to scoop the chili off my seat before it stained. Angry and disheartened, I realized that the bean paste would be a lot harder to clean off of my nice black seats. After about 30 minutes of this tedious task, I gave up and drove home, which instantly stained my light-colored jeans while I sat. Out of frustration, I threw my pants in the garbage when I got home, and my nose burned of the chili spices. Ever since that terrible day, I have refused to eat chili because the event was so traumatic. Now, Mr. Clopper... I understand that I could just avoid eating chili whenever my mother makes it for my family, but at this point, I am just so sick of even looking at it. You might have had made a lot of money while selling your idea, and you might want to continue selling it, but I don't blame you. Maybe you love your chili cook-off parties or competitions, which would absolutely give you the, an excuse to continue because the social aspect of those events are a blast. Frankly, I do not give a rat's butt about your chili invention and how it has changed your life. Maybe you made lots of money off this dish, but I do not care, and I wish that you could take back your spicy bean soup idea. Please, for the sake of my nose, stomach, and mental state, stop creating new chili recipes for my mom to try, and I promise to never complain about the awful lingering chili smell in my car again. Even better, 
If you stop being a food inventor, I will create a new food dish that can take the place of your atrocity. If you think of any other compromises, please send them my way, because I will do anything to stop your mess. Thank you very much, Sydney Mills. Sydney is a senior at Bow High School, and she enjoys dancing at New England School of Dance. She also likes writing, reading, and sleeping. Buffalo Wild Wings is a typical sports bar with good food and is the perfect spot to grab a bite to eat with friends. One of the great things about Buffalo Wild Wings is that the atmosphere is perfect. There are probably close to 100 screens all playing different sports. Along with TVs and projectors on the walls, there are many sports jerseys and other memorabilia worn and used by great athletes. There are tons of different sauces and seasonings you could choose from to go on your wings, and everyone could find something they like. Buffalo Wild Wings has more than just wings. They have burgers, chicken tenders, and other sandwiches. So if wings aren't speaking to you, you could choose something else. It is also a very family-friendly place, and not like other sports bars where a bunch of people are getting drunk and making a scene. On the downside, Buffalo Wild Wings gets packed. If there is a big game on and everyone wants to see it, what better place to go than a sports bar? Unless you get there a couple hours early, don't expect to get seated until the game is over. Another thing is, uh, that I've noticed in my experience is that the service is a little slow. It might be might have been an off day, but I've gotten a bad waiter a couple of times. All around, I would say that Buffalo Wild Wings is a good restaurant, and I would recommend it to anyone. With the good things outweighing the bad things, it is worth going. mistake. It was on one snowy day that I had managed to look like the biggest jerk possible. I was around the age of seven and home during a snow day in the middle of the winter. Due to the large quantity of snow that accumulated on the ground earlier that morning, my sister Alex and I decided that it was the ideal time to slide down our driveway. The driveway is a long, steep, and twisty path of asphalt, making it the perfect spot for professional sledders like ourselves. It is so long, there are two telephone poles that run along two-thirds of the driveway, with the rest of the wires underground to my house. Underneath part of the driveway is a miniature stream that runs beside the dirt road I live on. The rest of the land is all woods, complete with a snowmobiling trail that cuts behind my house. There are numerous hills around to sled on, but the driveway has always been the most exciting to sled on. I had just slid down to about the midpoint of the driveway and was walking back up when Alex started to accelerate down the driveway. At the age of five, she had just figured out how to properly sled on her stomach, hand steering it. I stopped where I was on the edge of the driveway and propped my sled up under my arm and watched her go down the driveway. At first, it looked like she would just sail by like I had originally thought would happen, but at the last moment, Alex veered to the left and crashed face first into my sled. She was going moderately fast, so it was a pretty hard hit to the face. At the moment, I hadn't noticed that she hit it too hard, so I laughed in astonishment. It wasn't until after two seconds that I saw that Alex was really upset. She had hit the sled hard enough to almost knock out an already loose tooth. Now it was only hanging by a thread and bleeding. When I noticed the blood, I freaked out and went to get my dad, who was plowing further down the driveway. Later that night, my sister lost her tooth and got a generous $5 from the tooth fairy the next day. 
It was quite obvious that my parents felt bad that it took a sled to the face to finally knock the tooth out. I felt horrible about the entire occurrence, even though it wasn't entirely my fault. It's not necessarily the hit to the face that made me feel lousy, but the fact that I laughed when it, was th when it had happened and didn't notice that Alex was hurt until a little bit afterwards. That day, I learned that it was important to be aware of my actions and of the actions of others around me. It's easy to overlook the possibility that something could happen to you and that can make you reckless in your decisions. Knowing what is happening around you and being able to react to them is an important skill to have in your life. Courtney Bear is a high school junior who enjoys playing field hockey and hanging out with friends. Follow her on Twitter at CourtneyBlog405. Playing for the Bow High School lacrosse team is an adventure in itself. The lacrosse team is an overall good team to play on, but still has its issues. There are positives and negatives to playing with this team, and every year it is typically the same things. One of the positives of this team is that we win games and aren't one of those teams that are constantly losing. We actually made it to semifinals last year and almost made it to the championship, and it looks like we may get that far this season as well. Another positive is that playing gets you in shape, and this year we've done some sort of conditioning almost every practice. We work on core and cardio, so that way we are ready to go during games and don't get burned out quickly. It makes a huge difference from being in shape and playing and not being in shape and playing, and it's, a, it's good to just be in shape in general. There are negatives to this team as well. One of them is that some people don't get along. This affects the team in games too, because some people won't pass to someone who's open because they don't like them, or they will yell at them for doing something wrong. Practices are also affected because people will go very aggressive against the ones they aren't the biggest fans of, which can cause a lot of tension and complaints. Another negative would be that there are a lot of girls on the team. Having many girls on the team means less playing time for everyone, or for some, no playing time at all. This is causing a constant competition between each player and makes the game a little more stressful during practices and leading into games. This can also cause unnecessary issues between teammates as well because if someone takes someone's spot, they get mad. I'd recommend playing for the Bow High School lacrosse team to people who like doing well in sports and can ignore team drama. Writing pieces can be found on my Twitter at Bridget's Writing. I am writing you today in an effort to finish the debate whether or not mustard sauce is the same as yellow mustard. This conflict originally started when one of our classmates decided to walk over to our table and say that the cafe was out of mustard sauce. This was instantaneously responded to with, You mean yellow mustard? Mustard sauce isn't a thing. The, ca the classmate responded with, Yellow mustard is mustard sauce. This was the start of a debate that would last around two years. Yellow mustard should not be called mustard sauce because they are different forms of mustard, with one being a dipping sauce and the other being a condiment. Yellow mustard is completely different from mustard sauce because a sauce describes a liquid, cream, or semi-solid food used in conjunction with food and incorporates more than one ingredient that has a different consistency. Mustard is originally called a plant and yellow mustard is the condiment which describes the characteristics of the plant and is also classified as a spread and not a sauce. You say yellow mustard is a sauce due to its likeness with the sauce honey mustard and how it incorporates mustard within the ingredients. You also state that when you use mustard, you are able to dip the nuggets and other food as well as being able to spread it. You state that it is a base, made of base flavors and that it would prove that it is indeed a sauce, but that is not how you classify a sauce. Mustard is not something you should use to dip your food. Mustard is a flavor made from the mustard seed, 
yellow mustard, mustard sauce, honey mustard, gray poupon mustard, and spicy brown mustard are all condiments which use mustard as their base flavor. However, each has different use cases and characteristics. As such, they can be classified in separate condiment categories. Yellow mustard is a spread, one you can use on a sandwich. Mustard sauce is a dipping sauce for appetizers like wings, fries, onion rings. Mustard is a flavor used in each of these condiments. Mustard is not a classification. Mustard is the flavor, which it itself is the characteristic that every food has. I have two fair solutions for you today. Seeing as I was able to win this argument, I would like to tell you that you can either one, state that mustard, uh, mustard sauce and yellow mustard are two different things, or you can two, forget about this argument, we can go back to being friends. The benefit of each would be that we would be able to put this behind us with either one of us winning or constantly being caught in the state of a stalemate. Kale Crowther is a junior at Boat High School. He likes stuff and other stuff. Follow him at Boys Writing. Camp is for the campers. For the past seven years, I spent my summers at Flirtily Camp for Girls. I was a camper for six years and I was a counselor in training for the last two summers. As a CT, we are lucky enough to do all the camp's dirty work. Clean the dishes, serve the meals, muck the lake. Once you become a counselor, you're responsible for all the camp for the campers at all times. One night this past summer, all of the staff in my cabin were on their night off, leaving the handful of nine-year-olds in cabin A to run wild before bedtime. I was called down to the field in an urgent rush. Once I arrived, I was faced with complete anarchy. Half the girls were naked running around, the other half were playing with toothpaste. After I laughed for a minute or so, I came up with a game plan. I told all the girls to stop what they were doing and to get in their pajamas and to use the bathroom. I may have threatened to call Santa if they were in bed within 10 minutes. Um, after about 15 minutes, all the girls were changed and ready for bed, but one. This camper in particular was interesting. She was barely nine years old and had the sense of humor of a 45-year-old man that lived in Boston. I told her that she had to use the bathroom quickly and get into bed fast. Taps is about to blow. She reluctantly listened to the bed. Fuck my- After about 15 minutes, all the girls were changed- <laughs> Wait, what? After about 15 minutes, all the girls were changed and ready for bed. But one. This camper was, in particular, was interesting. She was barely nine years old and had the sensor of a fuck. After about 15 minutes, all the girls were changed and ready for bed. But one. This camper, in particular, was interesting. She was barely nine years old and had the sense of humor of a 45-year-old man that lived in Boston. I told her that she... Yeah! <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> oh, my God. After about 15 minutes, all the girls were changed and ready for bed. But one. This camper in particular was interesting. She was barely nine years old and had the sense of humor of a 45-year-old man that lived in Boston. I told her that she had to use the bathroom quickly and get into bed fast. Taps is about to blow. She reluctantly listened to me. I was in bed in a few minutes, a few moments later. Before I left the cabin, I said goodnight to each girl and did a quick check in the cabin for anything that needed to be hung up to dry or thrown away. Once I stepped into the bathroom, I was faced with something I never thought I'd have to deal with. Someone in my cabin had pooped about 10 inches in front of the toilet. The second I saw that brown dragon, I knew she had done it. Her oddly mature sense of humor always threw me off. To top off my suspicions, she was the last one in the bathroom that night as well. At this point, I was so tired I had to hold back a mixture of laughter and tears. In one swift movement, I grabbed some toilet paper and threw the dingus dropping in the toilet. I left my cabin silently that night. I had no idea if I could even ask the campers who did it, let alone why they did it. 
I told the counselor in my cabin the next day, after a hard laugh, we all decided to be very specific in our instructions from then on. From this very interesting experience, I learned a lot of things about being a good leader. As a good leader, you need to be able to give clear and straightforward instructions. In my, in my case, while working with young kids, I need to be incredibly clear with what I'm asking of them. When asking a nine-year-old to use the bathroom, I need to either need to be monitoring them at all time or tell them to sit on the toilet. I also know that the staff directory needs to be better at scheduling. Granted, this experience taught me a lot about being a camp counselor. I'm not sure I'd want this to happen to anyone ever again. Even though that night was rough, I'm so glad that, that I saw the humor in it and laughed it off. From that point on, in the summer, every night, there was one counselor washing the bathroom before bedtime. To say the least, camp really is for the campers. Tequila shots. Tequila shots the night before scuba dive? Not the greatest idea for this individual who I watched toss his cookies in the water. As he continued diving down the water column with the other two divers in his group, you could see that something just wasn't right with him. The dive continued and everything seemed alright. As the daring divers gazed at the coral and the eels weaving their way in and out of the rocks, Mr. Tequila started to get worse. The other divers looked back to check on him, and there he was, floating in a cloud of vomit with fish darting in and out, trying to get a piece of what they thought was a gift from the gods. The guide calmed him down and made sure that he was settled and ready to continue. The group finished the dive and started the slow ascent to the surface. After they broke the surface, you could see that Mr. Tequila was greener than a freshly cut grass on a nice spring day. He got on the boat and hung himself over the side to make sure any extra cookies that wanted to come out didn't end up in the boat. To add to the hangover that he was in battle with, Mr. Tequila started to develop a raging case of seasickness. As he drank water to conquer the hangover and stared at the horizon to battle the seasickness, he started to feel better. 45 minutes later, he was ready for the second dive. Nate Carrier Junior, 5'11", 145, Caucasian, 